We are marching our way to September and the excitement is building around our annual event, the Storytelling Symposium. This is where we invite you to step into your brave and join us for a full day expansion of going deep on your story. And to help you do this, I'm bringing in some of the best speakers, the best coaches, the best thought leaders in the women's space. These visionary leaders are using their own story to guide them as they go deeper and deeper into their work in the world and bring their gifts and talents to others. So today on the Inside Story podcast, I invited one of our featured speakers to the show to give you just a little glimpse of the powerhouse human that she is. Dr. Leslie A. Salisbury is an executive coach to senior global academic and government and executive leaders. She trains global team leaders in leadership and communication, team building, accountability, emotional intelligence, planning and organizing, while also teaching the evidence-based benefits of leading from a place of competency, compassion, clarity, connection, awareness, purpose, and flow. Oh, those are so good. So many of those things I talk about all the time with storytelling too. Leslie's focus is helping visionary women shift their mindset and establish lifestyle practices and really dive deep into the reflective work so that they know intuitively what feels really alive to them and allows them to lead their life and their work with joy. Dr. Salisbury is the creator of the Whole Woman, Whole Leader, Whole Systems, Whole World. And we're going to talk a lot about that in our interview today. So we're going to tell you much more about that on the show. Now, behind all of those accolades and incredible success in her life lies a story of homelessness, misguided decisions, and a quest to rebuild her life from the ground up. I'm so thrilled to have Leslie as a speaker at the symposium this year. And if you haven't already purchased your ticket and made plans to join us in San Antonio on September 25th and 26th this year, I hope that something you hear today, something that you hear Leslie say, will actually spur you into action. And if for some reason you're not able to join us at the live event this year, I wanted you to have a little taste of Leslie's wisdom. I have found Leslie to be extremely grounded in her approach to all things life, leadership, and business. And I know that you will find a golden nugget you needed to hear today. So let's get into the show. Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Light Beamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Light Beamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the show. This is the Inside Story Podcast. I'm your host, April Adams Pertwee, and I'm really, really excited that you're here. Today, we are starting uh, one of the first of our little mini series, if you will, with our speakers that are going to be coming up at our Storytelling Symposium, which is our annual conference and women's storytelling event that we do every year. This year, it is being held in San Antonio, Texas on September 25th, 26th. And I have with me Dr. Leslie Salisbury, who is one of our featured speakers. And I'm just so excited to have her on the show today to give you all a better, deeper glimpse as to who Leslie is, uh, what she's all about, and hopefully get you pretty intrigued and excited to actually hear her speak um, completely at the symposium this year. So Leslie, thank you so much for being here and saying yes to the symposium and being a speaker. I'm so excited. Absolutely. It's absolutely my pleasure, April, always. 
Yeah. Well, I want to give everyone just a little bit of background, you know, um, about who you are and what you do. And I think that's important just to kind of establish what your work is in the world. As I said, in the open, you're very much around this, 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 this work, this body of work that you're bringing forward right now around whole leadership, whole woman, you know, whole world really. And I'd love for you to just give a little, little taste of what that is and what brought you into this work. And then I want us to go back. Mm-hmm. Because I know your story and I want to kind of give everybody a little, a little understanding of like where you are today is so different from really um, some of the journeys that you've been on. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about whole leader, whole woman, whole world and that work that you're bringing forward. Yeah. So um, my area, my work, which is a deep passion, it has a global component to it. And I would say it started years ago with my mother. I won't go that far back. I may, but um, more within the past 20 years, um, I started out as a Peace Corps volunteer. Mm -hmm. Um, My background was uh, to plan on going into medical school like my dad. And I studied, I'm a chemist by training, but I got so burnt out on the sciences that, you know, I heard about this phenomenal program, uh, accelerated master's program at Rutgers University. So I said, well, I've always wanted to go into the Peace Corps and I always had an interest in policy and, you know, development. So I did that. And, you know, the program and me going into Peace Corps, it was a game changer for me. It, it really allowed me to engage very deeply into the culture and the community see the direct impact uh, on the work that I was doing, working with the Ministry of uh, Youth Development and the Ministry of Education. Um, And then it's kind of fast forward, brought me into more global work. And so where I am now, um, you referenced the whole women, whole leaders, whole systems, and whole world, is that early on in my career, I had an opportunity to work in two different, very different work environments as a teenager. And one space was very toxic. There was no joy. There was no excitement. It was very rudimentary. And then the other environment, this woman gave me an opportunity to what I now know to be project development and management. She said, kid, here's a budget. Here's a project. This is what we want. This is the timeline that we want it. You have an office if you want to work in it. You can work someplace else. Keep track of your time. Have at it. Have fun. And I loved it. And it showed me the difference in leadership. I was able to thrive. I was responsible for contracts, budgets, vendors, transportation, the whole nine yards. And so it changed how I looked at leadership. Mm -hmm. And then as I became older uh, and moved forward in my life, I realized that leaders had a real heavy influence on the cultures and the spaces that we work in. And so those spaces, which I will call systems, I found we're very toxic. You know, we spend uh, as much, if not more time in our work environments than we do at home. And, you know, we need to have spaces where we thrive. And so coming up with the idea of creating whole systems from my perspective is that it should be a place where we are seen, heard. We know that we matter. We can thrive. And it's a place that we feel safe. And I think that leaders has a responsibility, have a responsibility in creating spaces like that. So I went from focusing on leaders and then had an aha moment and was thinking that if a leader shifts and moves to another organization and someone else comes in, where their values may not be aligned with that organization. And so the space may be um, succumb to the goals or the personality or the values of that particular leader. But now if I expand that and work with more people, we populate more spaces mm-hmm. and we're able to collectively have this shared understanding and belief that we all should have whole spaces to work in. And if we have more spaces and systems that are hold across the globe, then we have this chance of creating a whole world where we all feel like we're seen, valued, heard, know that we matter, a place that we can thrive, and a place that we all feel safe. Oh my gosh, I love this vision. I love this vision so much because mm-hmm. it is this idea that you know, reaching one person, starting with, you know, maybe um, like obviously the woman, like you were reached because another woman like mm-hmm. saw potential in you, gave you that shot, taught you 
by modeling what really beautiful leadership is. So understanding that women can be these type of leaders, leaders can create these types of spaces and these spaces really do um, transform the world. And so this idea that one at one thing at a time, like one person at a time um, does create them the, the global and collective impact. And I love this vision. It's, it's so big. It's so big. Um, and I, and I, I know that this has been a long time coming, you know, because you have been doing work in the world, um, working in policy, working in leadership, traveling the world. I mean, that has been your work, um, yeah. you started out in the Peace Corps and that really has translated into a career yeah. of working in government agencies, working with embassies, working with diplomats and things of that nature. So you do get to see all levels of leadership and what's working and what's not working. And so clearly that has informed you, um, not just in that one example, right? Like you had the really toxic example and then you had a later, this really positive example, but I'm sure you've been seeing this. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that no. you've been seeing this chronically in your career for over the last 20 years. It absolutely. And that's really what pushed me to have the focus uh, on my own dissertation and my own research. And that we have, there has to be a more evolved way of looking at leadership and creating these systems. I think I, I, you may fact check me more than, more than likely, but I believe the number at this point is, oh, it's either, it's in the billions. I'm not sure if it's 1 billion or 11 billion. I know that's a huge, uh, huge stretch, but it's either one or the other of individuals that voluntarily quit their jobs. I'm sorry, that's the amount of money that's spent on people who voluntarily leave their jobs on mm -hmm. turnover within the United States. And 75% of those individuals that voluntarily leave their jobs, leave them as a result of their bosses. And so to me, there has to be a new conversation about our spaces and about leadership. Um, and what I saw during the pandemic, which I was so excited to see, is that we had this space, right? I mean, a lot of us actually paid a price, you know, with losing loved ones and income. Um, but what I feel as though we found in the workspace and people who are employees is they had a little bit of breathing space, right? Mm -hmm. To really connect with what their values were. Yeah. They got a chance to see what was important. How were they treated? They thought about, I get a chance to choose how I make a living. I get a chance to choose how I'm treated in these spaces. And so you talk about the great resignation. Well, when we rolled up to the point, I think it might have been October of last year, where uh, unemployment was supposed to end, the extensive unemployment benefits were supposed to end. You had employers chomping at the bit thinking that was going to force uh, individuals to come back and take the same type of treatment that they left. And people were like, yeah, screw that. I'm not doing that. You know, uh -huh. I, I get to choose. It's my choice. I have now had enough time over a year to understand my values. Yeah. And so now workspaces are having to shift and change. And it's about time. It's about It time. is about time. I so agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and people need to be valued more as a an asset inside of a company, inside an organization, even just inside of our communities, right? Like even for people that own their own businesses or or are solo entrepreneurs, such as myself, you know, like I don't have a boss and I don't have a company culture that I have to navigate. Mm -hmm. Yet we have to be valued as an asset regardless. And so I need to have that value established with my clients and with my collaborators and people that I'm out and, you know, networking with or whatever. And inside organizations and companies, mm -hmm. we have to have that value. Um, whether you're, you're talking to someone who's higher up from you, or you're talking to someone that you're in charge of from a manager standpoint, you know, people that are on your team or people that are brand new to the company. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my husband is doing a lot of work in this right now, um, similar to you. And his whole program is all about burnout. You know, yeah. like there's a real sense of people, the, those that have gone back to work and the companies that haven't, didn't get that message during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, are really, really struggling and that people are continuing to leave their you know, that great resignation did not end. It is still going on. And, 
you know, some companies and some leaders just have their heads in the sand. They just don't get it. Yeah. Um, and it's really, I just, I think it's so important what you're doing um, in this work in the world, which of course is why I wanted to have you um, speak at the symposium and, um, you know, bring some of that to us, bring some of that to the women who will be in the audience, maybe not necessarily from, you know, a, um, a standpoint of what does it look like in organizations, although that can be part of it, but I think it just starts with the person, you know, it has to start with that, that one person and whether we are the leader or we're the person that's subjecting ourselves to it, mm-hmm. like finding your voice is a big piece of it, right? Like finding your voice, like you said, and saying, no more, I am not doing this. This is crazy. My values are more important. The way I want to live my life are more important than, you know, subjecting myself to this nonsense. So, so just really excited about that. And it goes back, you made a point about, you know, um, just as entrepreneurs and we may be kind of a one person company, Mm -hmm. we may have, you know, uh, a few contractors that work with us, but it does start with the individual. It does start with the whole woman and what that looks like. And so we get a chance to shape our own work culture. You know, even if it's just us, we're responsible for having conducive workspace, for caring for ourselves, for treating ourselves, you know, with uh, grace and dignity to making sure um that we take the breaks that we need, you know, all this starts with us. But when we talk about the whole woman, as you said, it starts with us and the whole woman creates a whole leader. We come into this space, into this world as these beautiful beings. And all, a lot of times we are influenced or take on the narratives, the stories, the recordings, either our caregivers, those that we are in space with, and we they stick to us, you know, um, and we interpret and internalize those stories that don't belong to us. And then as we move through work, the life as women, um, some of the barriers and experiences are different just based, based upon gender, but we go through life and then we collect other people's stories, like co-workers' stories, whoever, community members' stories. And so the idea of our whole women is how do you identify? What does that mean to you? What does that feel like to you? What can you do, the practices, behaviors, mindsets to actually uncover the most purest form of who you are, connecting with that purest form and giving yourself permission to live from that space. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I mean, it really isn't. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a practice. But giving yourself permission to live from that place and uncovering what that is and having the courage to live from that place. Because once you start polishing off and walking in the world a certain way, People are not going to like that because uh-huh. they they are invested in you being the person that you were. And so having the mindset, right, the moonshot of being a whole woman, something to work towards, something to live by, something to stumble into and then fall back and get up and do it again and do it 5% one day and 95 another day. It's a lifestyle choice. And so being gracious with yourself as you are connecting with her and then taking her wherever you go into that role of leadership, taking her into the role of motherhood, taking her into the role of being all that you can be for yourself first Mm -hmm. and foremost. So I I think that's very important because those narratives don't belong to us and we can gift them out into the universe and the universe can, you know, envelop them into this beautiful orb of light and we don't have to own them any longer. Mm, it's so, so beautiful just hearing you talk about it. I, I, I love it. And yeah, it is about the stories that we collect over time. And at some point you have to evaluate these stories and say, are they really my story? Is this even am I living out my story, you know, or am I just perpetuating someone else's belief system, someone else's limited beliefs is someone else's values. Right. Um, and it's such an important thing for women to do is to stop and really go inward Mm -hmm. and look at what do I believe, you know, I'm having an experience right now, like in this moment, as I'm talking to you 
in our home. Mm-hmm. We're having some conversations with our kids about what does school look like next year? <laughs> and, and we are actually entertaining an idea around not sending our school kids to school and doing some homeschooling for one year. Mm-hmm. No decision has been made, but that is the discussion that we're having. Mm-hmm. And actually this all came about because my 16 year old son came to us and proposed the idea and he proposed it convincingly. He proposed it with research, well thought out ideas, very much, um, you know, some really good reasonings why and why not and all of those things and asked us to consider it. He said, I don't want a decision. I'm not asking for you to say yes or no right now. I would like for this to be a discussion um, in our family. Mm -hmm. And my initial reaction to that was about because he's a, he's a really good basketball player and he loves to play basketball and he's going into his junior year and this is kind of like varsity year and all of these things um and my initial reaction was about that darn basketball team i mean yeah. it was about like but what about basketball not what about school not what about i mean like it was so interesting to see how i reacted um and i i call it a reaction because i feel like that's what that was that was not a true response that was a reaction and I, t- I took a step back because I and, and he said, well, it's okay if I don't play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and of course I was like, okay. But I thought about that more because I kept thinking as I was giving this some consideration, right? The one thing I kept coming back to was like, gosh, I can't believe I won't be watching him play basketball this year if we were to take this alternative approach to school. Mm-hmm. And I dug a little deeper into that and I realized, man, that's just me projecting onto him. Because I didn't play any organized sports growing up. I um, had some health challenges that prevented me from doing that. And I realize I'm living vicariously through his experience, you know, getting to watch him to do that. And so I've had to really look inward at myself and what my reaction is versus what my response really is. And my response has been much more favorable to his idea than I first you know, gave, gave indication to, because I realized that's some, that's me projecting my story onto him. Like that is my junk that has nothing to do with him and his reasoning of why this would be a good idea for him for a year and why it would be a good idea for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the way that happens. And we have to look inside of ourselves and stop and, and, and say, okay, what's my story? What's the truth? How might I be projecting this onto other people? And how am I absorbing other people's stories, right? Maybe that was projected onto me at some point. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, sports or whatever. So that's just an example, but that's something that's like been really prevalent in our house right now as I'm sharing this with you, because, you know, that's, you have to, you have to do the hard work. You have to look in the mirror and um, as, as women and for us to have our voices in the world, we will penetrate and make a difference when those voices are pure. Yes, 100%. When you're able to, to re- and you'll feel it, I, I believe, I know I feel it, when I am very grounded and connected yeah. and I have stripped away all the things that have made me doubt my own worth and my value. Yeah. When I've gotten rid of those things, it's just, it's not really a conversation. It's, I don't, I'm not upset about anything. I'm not angry about anybody with anybody. I have no negative emotions around it. It's just, this is what works for me. And crickets after that, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what works for me. I'm open to a conversation, but I'm no longer willing to compromise my integrity I'm no longer willing to give up what I know to be true that is healthy for me and whole for me in order to accommodate someone else um, because I don't have to, you know, I don't have to. And it's taken a long time to get here. Um, But I want to, I don't know if this will help, but I want to drop a a mom jewel or mom pearl here. Um, So I homeschooled my son on two different occasions. So Mm -hmm. when he was five at one point, I think something might've been between 10 and possibly 13, no, 11 or 12 and 13. And what I realized, we found out here in our school district is that homeschool children are still allowed to participate in school sports. And so that worked out really well for him. So he did track, you know, so um, 
yes, sometimes just we have options. And um, even though we, you know, project, can project our own stories to our kids, there are options if that choose to be their course, you know, if they choose that course to go down the path of sports or one to participate still. But I love the fact that your son was totally at peace with it. And um, yeah. And I've had those moments with my son. I'm thinking, no, don't do this. No, you have to do this. And he's like, you know, I'm good. Like, mom, I'm really good. And I have to respect that. I have to pull back on that. But it is, it is our own stories. And I, and I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, isn't this what you're really talking about though, in these whole systems, like as a leader of an organization, as a boss, when you have a someone in your organization come to you and say, Hey, I want to do this project, but I want to do it a different way than what you've asked me to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's when a whole leader really looks at that. Like that woman did for you and said, here's your budget. I yeah. don't care how you get it done. Just get yeah. it done. Right. Exactly. Here's the deliverables. Here's some money. Here's yeah. an office. If you want it, if you don't yeah. want it, don't use it. I don't care. Yeah. She was a true model in that moment. And that's more of who we have to be. That's who I'm having to be right now as a parent, right? Like I'm having to look at this and go, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we could do things a different way and it still be okay. Like we're still going to get to the end goal. Mm -hmm. There's more than one way to the finish line. This episode of the Inside Story Podcast is brought to you by the Storytelling Symposium. This is our community-wide annual event where we bring men and women together from all sectors of life to discuss what does it look like for you to step into your brave and share your story. I talk to so many women every day who think their story doesn't matter. It's not important. It's not big enough. It wouldn't make an impact. Or they know they have a story, but they just have no idea where to start and figuring out how to share it. This is exactly why I created the Storytelling Symposium. This special event is an opportunity for you to come and learn more about how to excavate the layers of your own story and how to give your story meaning and impact. We are all walking around with a story to share, yet so often women play small. They keep quiet and they let other stories just pass them by. So the symposium is your opportunity to step into the power of your story and to be surrounded by the most amazing speakers and guest teachers, as well as other attendees as we workshop together, we network, we share stories that will help empower you to step into your brave with your own story. This is a storytelling event like no other. It is seriously like our Super Bowl event of the year, and it's especially curated with you in mind. I am lining up the most powerful speakers who will both inspire and encourage you to step into your brave and the people lining up next to you that will be sitting next to you at the event will also be your cheerleader. So I invite you to join us for our next event, which is September 25th and 26th. 2022 in San Antonio, Texas. Not only do I promise you'll discover new ways to use your story, you'll also fall in love with the San Antonio cuisine and culture and community. And yes, there will be plenty of guacamole and tacos, I can assure you. So for more information on the 2022 storytelling symposium known as Step Into Your Brave, go to lightbeamers.com and click on the events tab in the top navigation bar And there you will find everything you need to know about this year's symposium event. Be sure to reach out to me if you have questions. You can find me at april at lightbeamers.com or of course, hit me up on the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm at lightbeamers and I would love to hear from you. And most importantly, I hope to see you in San Antonio for our storytelling symposium in September. You know, I was sitting here thinking, Leslie, mm-hmm. um, I know a little bit of your story, obviously, because I've known you and um, obviously we've done story work together. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're sitting here and saying, I'm no longer available for these things. I stand in my power. I have integrity, you know, like all of these things. Yeah. Give us a little snapshot of what, when, what in your life, when in your life and what did it look like when those things were not um, anchored in as solidly as they are now. Give us a little, a little backstory on some of the things that your journey, your life has brought you through. 
Oh my God, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> well, we're going to save some of this for the symposium because I know you'll be dropping some of this there too. But like, yeah. I just want people to know that we don't just drop out of the sky with this awareness and, and knowledge and stability in our power and confidence. You know, women get there, well, people get yeah. there by traveling the journey of life. And there are things in our story, right? This is the story of Leslie. There's things that have brought you to this point. Like I always talk about the story arc. There's the before, the transformation and the other side. So we're talking about your other side right now. What did it look like before? What has your transformation been like? Yeah. So I think I have, I believe I have, but I have really great uh, people in my life that are my, in my memory and they reflect back to me what I forget sometimes when I'm having a rough time. So uh, graduate school in particular, uh, working on my doctorate here in Massachusetts was really, really rough. Um, it is, it was a very uh, toxic, toxic experience for me, um, a very bullying environment. And I always describe it as it, it was a systematic deconstruction of who I knew myself to. Mm, uh. And so when I came in, I was one person. By the time I left, I was mangled. I was, you know, um, didn't have any like a strong sense of self-worth or value. I just really felt pummeled. And a little bit I could hold on to, um, I kind of just tried to protect it as much as I possibly could. And so I think coming through that, um, being really disrespected by professors in the system and having a couple of people, thank goodness, really show up for me and, and help me. But it took me getting to almost the end of that journey where I was getting ready to defend my dissertation. And every they threw everything at me but the kitchen sink, you know, by the time uh, I was set to defend. And so from telling me I had to uh, my space hadn't been secured, so I couldn't defend, or this paperwork hadn't been submitted, or documents that had been submitted uh, ideally three three plus years before. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Oh, can I curse on your podcast? I you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you say whatever you want, girl. I was like, that's bullshit. You know, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. And so I reply, this is where I will be at this time in this room with my committee. The fact that you all don't have it on your calendar has nothing to do with me. I am defending my dissertation on this day. And everything was fine. My committee supported me and that worked out. But that was one turning point. I would say the other turning point is when uh, I had accepted a job uh, in um, the Bahamas, the Luther of Bahamas. And I was offered an opportunity to come to work with the organization there to uh, help them with education reform. And they had asked me if I was interested in looking at charter schools and setting up some type of system uh, there. And I agreed. And it was I was connected through a community member that I knew here. Um, and I didn't think anything about it. I didn't sign a contract. It wasn't anything proposed. I just... All, most of the work I have gotten in my life has been word of mouth. So I didn't think that this one would be anything different. And when I got there, it was a total, I would say, nightmare. I was there maybe one day and I could see the writing on the wall as to the direction this project was going to go. And so my son and I landed. I had sold off everything, given up everything. How moved to the Bahamas. We moved to the Bahamas. So I think we arrived on a Friday. I think we arrived on no, a Thursday or something like that. I saw the writing on the wall that Thursday. Um, we found someone that helped us out to kind of get a place. I had a place to stay. Oh, I was able to get a refund from that place because I had rented it for a long term. So that was Thursday. I called the airline Friday, shared with them that I needed to get me and my kid out. They um, said that they would do the best they could. And I couldn't get on the flight that a flight on Friday, so they got me out on Saturday. And so we left Saturday, turned right back around. And that was a devastating experience for me um, because I had never engaged with an individual that would not honor or treat me with dignity and respect um, in the way that I knew I should have been treated. And so that uh, went into my son and I being homeless for, I think, about 15 months. Wow. he and I talk about it. We can laugh about it. Now it was no laughing matter for me at the time, but I think we counted that we moved 15 times in 15 months. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, Cause were you just couch surfing? Were you just trying couch. to have find, find friends that would take you in until you could get back on your feet? Yep. And we because stayed. Now you had no job. No job. No job know. because that was what yeah. you were going to the Bahamas for. Yeah. You had no home because you had sold everything you owned because yeah. you didn't need to keep anything here. Yeah. So you get back and have not you just have nothing to go back to. Nothing, nothing to go back to. And um it was real we had some really great people that assisted us along the way. And um there was one night where um we didn't have a place to stay. Um, the place that we was offered was not conducive at all for us. Uh-huh. to sleep, And I just refused to subject myself or my son to that space. So luckily, um, my son had been offered, this was before, you know, not having the place, had been offered a sleepover. And so he had a space to stay. And I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in the car that a friend loaned me or not. And I realized that I had a key to a friend's office. And to this day, I don't think they know I stayed there, but that night I stayed in their office, slept on the couch, went to the bathroom in the building. And then I went to the university um, gym, which I still was part of. I went to the university gym to shower, you know, change clothes. Um, But I didn't know what I was gonna do. So before I decided to stay in his office, I just went to the movie and figured it out, figured out what to do. And something told me to call a friend of mine um, that had always been very thankful to me for helping her get a job and told her what was going on. And she said, you and your son are more than welcome to come here. We'll be here for four months and we'll, you know, until we move and you're more than happy, welcome to stay. And so we stayed there for, I think, maybe about a month, two months or something like that. But those were those two pivotal months. And so when I started this story, I said I have people that reflect my journey back to me. So they call it my Luther moment. So when I hit a wall, um, they will remind me where I was and what I overcame. And they always tell me I was a different person. So the university and that experience in a Luther, I am unwavering when it comes to my value. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I give a lot of my energy, I give a lot of myself, and I'm worthy to be treated with dignity and respect and grace. Um, and then one more pivotal moment that you, you're aware of, because we were more so in company with this, is that I had an opportunity to do some work, and I've been doing it for a while. And um, they came, there was a mishap in one of the contracts. And so uh, it was set for a certain price point, signed it and everything, and then, you know, went on about my business with the work. And so I got maybe, I left the country, ended up in another country where I was going to work. And I got an email from this particular company and said, hey, we messed up your contract. Um, we're sending you a new contract. Um, please sign it and get it back to us. Well, it was almost half of what the original contract I had signed. So I'm on a tear, like I'm up in arms. And so I reached out to one of my mentors and colleague and she said, don't even worry about it. You know, she said, don't worry about it at all. You know, write this particular language, send it out, copy this person and don't flinch. Don't say anything. And I said, okay. And so I did. And I heard back and um, they were grateful that I, they said they, they would honor the contract. They were grateful that I was there and able to help out because it was a last minute thing that I helped them out with. And so after that, they wanted to go back to the lower contract. And that wasn't an option for me. That was not an option for me. So as much as I love the work and as much as I really love this, uh, working with this particular uh, company, um, I was willing to walk away from it. And having been a mother that had been homeless had worked two to four jobs at any time, raising my son by myself, going to graduate school full time, working these jobs, to have the audacity to be willing to walk away from something because they were not honoring your work was huge for me. So I was clear I was a very different person because, I mean, every penny mattered as a single mother, every penny mattered, you know, and I was documenting everything. So it wasn't, you know, as a kid say, it wasn't a flex, you know, I wasn't trying to flex on anybody. I was just clear about my value and my worth. And if it meant I had to work somebody someplace else that may not have had the same prestige, it was my choice. I wasn't going to allow somebody to determine my value for me. Wow. Oh, truth bomb, mic drop. (laughs) 
So, you know, that's what I love about your story so much is just this, this rise of Leslie, you know, this rise of confidence, this rise of really knowing who you are and your value and your worth and, and having those people in your life that continue to remind you of it and who continue to remind you of your ability, you know, like you've been there, you know how to do this, right? is so, so good. And I think that's a reminder for anyone listening, right? Like we all have those things in our life that where we maybe have let other people dictate our value and our worth. And we've succumbed to that pressure because life is hard sometimes and life is gritty, you know, being homeless and being a single mom and having to like reestablish yourself after a really, you know, unfortunate, decision, you know, that didn't pan out. I think everyone has had moments like that, whether they're a single mom and and homeless or not, they've had moments where something didn't work out and it caused repercussions and it sent them into a path that they didn't expect. And then therefore you really learn a lot about yourself. You learn what you're capable of and wasn't really the journey you expected. It wasn't what was prescribed in your vision board yet what comes out of that? Like, I'm just curious, do you think you would have, like, do you think you would be able to do this work today and stand in that power if you had not gone through such a, a challenging time of understanding, you know, kind of digging down deep, like you've had to do during that time with your son and being homeless and bouncing around to different um, people's homes until you could get back on your feet. Do you, do you think that you would even be able to do this work to the level that you're doing it had you not had that polar opposite experience? Yeah, I don't know. I, for some, I, I, all my knee jerk is to say, I don't think so, you know, because it was, it required me to make real decisions in real time. I mean, this could have gone a completely different way. You know, let's be honest about it. It could have, I could have totally given up, checked out mm-hmm. on Yep. You know, it could have gone a totally different way, but this experience really allowed me to see the systems, the mm-hmm. It allowed me to see how, you know, what's the expression, you know, hurt people hurt people, yeah. you know, and so the brokenness of individuals and systems and people's own lack of self-worth and self-esteem and how that you know, determines their choices and their behavior. And so, no, there was something, I don't think I would. And and I am truly, I would have to say too, I'm truly my parents' daughter, you know? (laughs) So, you know, um, I get my grit, you know, like my determination and my grit from my father and, you know, this quiet resilience, you know, from my mother as well. And so for me, I think April, the alternative from where I, so where I was, let me start here, where I was, was no longer an option. Mm-hmm. And because I knew viscerally what that felt like, I know what the people looked like. I know how they treated me. So for me to be that again, was no longer an option. So I closed that door. And so people would always tell me, oh, you always have an option. I was like, yeah, but no, I don't. Because that's not an option. That way is for me shrinking, being accommodating, mm-hmm being less than, operating out of place of fear, out of, and, you know, allowing others to treat me in a way that I don't deserve. That's not an option for me. It's the doors closed on that. So I don't believe so. I may be going through that fire, you know, and, and feeling what that experience was created this, I don't know, this, this burning kind of, um, this rising flame in me just not to be that. And, um, you know, there's an expression, they say that um, bad experiences stick like Velcro and good experiences kind of slide off like Teflon. And I think I've had a different experience for me. I, those experiences, the bad ones, I don't hold on to them. They just, I know what they look like and I know what they feel like. And so I know where, what it feels like 
when that shows up and to not make that decision. And then I hold on to the good experiences. I actually have, they're the opposite for me now. So I have the tendency to holding on to those good experiences and those people that have offered me grace and kindness and support and, you know, treated me with dignity. Um, And then I also have a visceral uh, memory, if you will, of what those other experiences felt like. And that's what drove my commitment to saying, not on my watch, not with another woman experience that if I have anything to say about it. She will not compromise her value and her dignity. She will see that there are other options. I couldn't see other options. I had no, I was so stuck and broken in this, you know, quicksand of this uh, university system. I couldn't see the options. So my commitment is having people see and know that they actually have options um, and that you don't have to compromise yourself just because this is all you see. Just open your open your view, expand your heart, you know, to know that there's more than one way to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And you don't have to be hijacked by anybody or anything. You have a choice. You have a choice. And me saying this, sometimes I'm concerned that it might come off sounding privileged or, you know, um, you know, tone deaf to somebody's experience, but I am living proof, living proof, two times homeless. One I've just told on this story in this this podcast, but I'm living proof to know you have options, you create options, and you are worthy of having options. Enough said. They are there. Just having people that will hold space for you while you figure that out and talk through it. But I promise you, you have options. You just may not be able to see them. Leslie, it's so good. So good. And I don't think that that's a place of privilege at all when, you you know, we just heard your story, (laughs) you know, like, excuse me, that's not coming from a place of privilege. That's coming from a place of power, understanding that of what you truly are capable of. And, and like you said, knowing what it feels like to to have those experiences and say, no, thank you. I'm not signing up for that again. You know, I've had some similar experiences around, I talk about this in in our book that we wrote, Elevate Your Voice. My particular chapter was my experiences, um, you know, with male patriarchal systems in my career. And uh, I have, I've, I've experienced it. And I, and that's why I'm so like, um, I don't know, just, I'm so determined to, to break my own patterns and behaviors. And I still find myself, I just put a proposal. I just, uh, had a conversation this week around getting paid to speak. And I had to like really rear up and, and ask for it, like really ask for what I wanted. And I, I was so conflicted over that. And I'm like, here you go again. Here's that old story coming up, you know, and I have to like, look that in the face, but I now know what it looks like to not be valued and appreciated for the work that I'm bringing to the table, because I've had so many experiences where and it was because I was having this conversation with a man or two. Mm-hmm. Let me just say yeah. that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that was part of the the co- internal conflict with me. And so, yeah, I was just like, um, it, it it just comes up. And, and uh, once you've experienced it, you're like, no, 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 thank you. And so that's, you're not coming from a place of privilege. You're coming from a place of truth and knowledge yeah. and experience and using that power in a positive way. And I'm so glad that you just preached from the pulpit because <laughs> every woman that's listening to this podcast, you need to share this podcast right now with a girlfriend and say, go listen to it. Right. And then you need to get that girlfriend and y'all go to lightbeamers.com slash symposium and get yourself a ticket <laughs> to the oh, symposium right. and, yeah. and then book a flight to San Antonio and have a girl's weekend to come and be filled up with more of this message from Dr. Leslie Salisbury. So there you go. (laughs) I am so excited to have you speak at the symposium. We're going to be diving much deeper into this. You'll be there for our VIP day experience where we're going to be digging in with women on a deeper level around, around this topic of being whole, Mm -hmm. like truly being whole and stepping into your brave and what that looks like. So 
Thank you so much for being with me today on the show. Yeah. I can't wait to see you in San Antonio soon and give you a big giant hug. Absolutely. And uh, just excited for others to experience your your beauty and your your intuitive guidance that you so effortlessly give when people are around you. And that's going to be just a real treat to have you speak this year. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to it and being in that beautiful community that you created. And I've been fortunate enough to be a part of. And I think it's going to be, actually, I don't think, I know it's going to be a phenomenal and joyful experience. So I look forward to being there. And thank you for the invitation. And um, it's going to be dope. It's going to be dope. Absolutely. It's going to be dope. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for this episode with Dr. Leslie Salisbury. And like I said, get yourself to San Antonio, if at all possible, for our annual storytelling symposium where Leslie will be a featured keynote speaker. Oh, I cannot wait for you to experience her fully in person. And um, I just thank you for being here today, listening. And we will see you back here next week on another edition of the Inside Story Podcast. Go share your story today. See ya. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.